Hello and welcome to Mending the Gap, your guide to women's mental health research. My name is Catherine Saunders and I will be your host. I'm a third year PhD student at the section of women's mental health at King's College London. In each episode, I'll be sitting down with the researchers themselves who are working to mend the gender gap in mental health research. In this episode, we will hear from Dr. Claire Wilson, a psychiatrist and PhD student at the section of women's mental health at King's College London. She will talk to us about her PhD work on perinatal mental health and gestational diabetes. Claire is funded by an MRC Clinical Research Training Fellowship, and the study we talk about in this episode was published in Diabetic Medicine in 2019. The full reference can be found in the show notes. Hi Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. It would be a really great place to start with your clinical and academic background and maybe what's got you interested in the interface between physical and mental health. Thank you um, for having me on the podcast. Um, I'm a psychiatrist, that means I'm a medical doctor who has chosen to specialise in the care of those with mental illness. And I'm particularly interested in the mental health of women. When I was a more junior doctor, before I had chosen to specialise in psychiatry, I was looking after people with what we would traditionally call physical health conditions. So these are people who are in the, the, the medical hospital who would often come with mental ill health as well. And so I often saw that as a junior doctor, but also later on um, as a psychiatrist, physical ill health. Um, so those those medical conditions presenting within um, my patient population, which was then those with, with mental illnesses. Um, and so I became very aware of this interface from, from quite, quite a, a, an early stage of my medical training. And I've always had this interest in, in research. And so I was keen to explore the physical mental health interface within my own area of practice, which is perinatal psychiatry. So that is the care of women experiencing mental ill health during pregnancy and up to one year postpartum. Is there a, a definition of the physical mental health interface? What does that phrase really mean? Yeah, so it, it essentially describes these close links that are seen between physical health and mental health. Of course, that dichotomy is is slightly arbitrary because clearly health is, as defined by, by the WHO, a, a complete state of physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So... As I say, you know, it's a, it's a slightly false dichotomy to talk about physical health and, and mental health because they're clearly very connected, as reflected in that in that WHO definition of health. And we often see in those who are unwell clusters of social, psychological, and um, physical unwellness. Conditions rarely occur in, in isolation, and so often it's it's just easier to talk about single medical conditions to you know to research and treat them, but actually clearly they are very connected, and a, a more joined up approach to 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 the research, the management, and the treatment of these illnesses is is required. So, what is the relationship between physical and mental health? Yeah, so, so, so as we've just, just talked about, you know, they are connected. 
And we see bi-directional associations between medical conditions such as um, diabetes and heart disease and mental ill health, what we call mental disorders. So that includes common mental disorders like anxiety and depression that are very common within the population and also more severe mental illness like um, conditions such as schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And when I say bidirectional associations, what I'm meaning is that the relationship probably goes both ways. So if you are medically unwell, you're more at risk of becoming um, mentally unwell and if you and, and vice versa. So, for example, prevalence of depression. So this is how common depression is, is much higher if you have a chronic medical condition like, as I said, diabetes or heart disease. And we know that treatment of depression in those with chronic medical conditions has been shown to improve outcomes. So improving overall well-being, reducing disability. And similarly, you know, I've, I've spoken about how you, these very common mental disorders like anxiety and depression, but even in those with severe mental illness like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, the mortality gap there. So, how what what age you're likely to die? Um, it's it, there is a significant gap there if you have a severe mental illness versus if you don't, you're much more likely to die at a young age. Um, figures are, are anything up to um, 20 years. So you're more likely to die 20 years younger um, if you've got a severe mental illness compared to the general population. Well, that's really quite shocking as a as a kind of number to think about that if you're somebody who's who's experiencing a severe mental illness, that actually you are far more likely to die younger than your equivalent in the general population. Yes. Is there a lot being done about that? What do you mean in terms of research, in terms of clinical practice? I suppose the research feeds the clinical practice in some senses, but cl- yes. cl- but clinically, is that a result of a lack of clinical awareness of these issues or is the research just not there to show why this is happening? I, I think it's both. I think we do need to, to understand better some of the causes of uh, premature mortality in those with um, severe mental illness. We have, we have an idea. Some of it is related to um, the, the, the broader socio-environmental stressors um, that those with severe mental illness experience, including socioeconomic deprivation and particular lifestyle factors. For example, those with severe mental illness are more likely to smoke. But I do think we need a greater understanding of, of what is what is driving that. But yes, I also think that there needs to be more joined up care um, for, for this particular group of patients. And what, what I mean by that is a greater awareness among those working in the general medical hospital and in the psychiatric hospital about the, the conditions that they're less familiar with. So whether it be the, the, the mental or, 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 the, or the medical um, illnesses. Going back to more generally the relationship between physical and mental health, Would you say that the current evidence suggests that this relationship is more marked in women? I think the evidence, as is always the way in in, in epidemiology, so when we study patterns of of diseases in populations, I think the evidence is is very mixed. Certainly we know that um, common mental disorders like anxiety and depression are more common in women. This we know. 
and it's it occurs at, at every stage of life except the, the very early years um, so very early childhood but certainly from about age four onwards women um, are much more likely to experience anxiety or depression than men now is that a true uh, increase in, in in prevalence in women versus men or is it just that we're diagnosing it more in women that's less clear so when we're thinking about this physical mental health interface, clearly mental disorders like anxiety and depression are more common in women anyway. And quite a lot of the studies that have looked at the interface have maybe just been conducted in a female-only population, for example. So you don't always have that, that comparison with men. As I alluded to, certainly in, in diabetes, for example, you're twice as likely to be depressed if you have diabetes as, as if you don't have diabetes. And there is, from a, a large study um, that was conducted, some evidence that that, that is more marked in, in women than in men. Um, and there is also evidence that women are less likely to receive optimal diabetes care than men. Similarly, these common mental disorders are more associated with obesity, which we know can be a risk factor for a number of chronic medical conditions. Um, and that relationship between anxiety and depression and obesity is more marked in women. So there is some evidence, but it's mixed. And I suppose that leads actually really nicely into the study that we're going to talk about, because your research project that we're going to discuss looks specifically at gestational diabetes and mental health outcomes in uh, mothers and their children. So what is gestational diabetes? So gestational diabetes, which is often shortened to GDM, is diabetes that occurs for the first time in pregnancy has a prevalence, so this is how common it is in the population, of between about 5 and 15%. And it's associated with a number of adverse outcomes for mothers and their children. This includes larger babies, particularly if the, the GDM is not treated properly. And a result of having a larger baby is that you're more likely to require a caesarean section um, as an emergency. Similarly, there's an increased risk of diabetes in mums in the future after they've had their babies. And there's emerging evidence that there's an increased risk in children too of, of diabetes as they, as they grow up. There's some evidence for uh, what we call adverse neurobehavioural outcomes in children. So that's things like hyperactivity, delays in verbal IQ. Clearly, these are not inevitable very much depends on how the how the GDM is managed in pregnancy and there is greater or lesser evidence for, for, for some of these outcomes. So the, what you've just described is that GDM, it does have a lot of potential repercussions yes. if, if a mother experiences it during pregnancy. Yes. And so what kind of study did you conduct to look at the association between GDM and mental health in mothers and their babies? So given what we've seen in the non-pregnant diabetic population, I thought maybe there, there, there is this relationship between GDM and um, mental disorders in the, in the perinatal period, so during pregnancy and up to one year postpartum. So 
what I did is what we call a systematic review. So this is just where we search far and wide um, across a range of sources for all literature pertaining to a specific area. So I was interested in what is the risk if you have GDM for experiencing a mental disorder during pregnancy or up to one year postpartum. And that includes all mental disorders. So depression, anxiety, psychotic disorders, eating disorders, uh, all, all mental disorders. So you sort of cast out a net looking for all evidence in that area and yes. you looked to collate it. Yes. And we summarised it. We did some uh, specific statistical tests that allowed us to pool all of the results together to obtain one estimate for what is the risk for the different mental disorders at different points in the peripartum, so at various points during pregnancy and also in the postpartum period. And what did you find? So we found that there was an increased risk of depression during pregnancy and up to one year following birth. The greatest increase was around the time of GDM diagnosis, which certainly in the UK is at 26 to 28 weeks gestation, although there is a lot of universal debate about when and how we test for GDM. And that that increased risk was twice that in GDM as, as in, in non-GDM women, which mirrors that of the, the non-pregnant diabetic population. As I mentioned before, it's about twice, twice the risk. The relationship with other mental disorders was less clear, but there may be an increased risk for gestational diabetes in women with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. So you found that the research was really focusing on certain mental disorders and neglecting to look at others. Yes, and the fact that we were only able to do that statistical test to pull together all the data in depression and not other mental disorders is is due to the fact that there just wasn't enough literature pertaining to, to other mental disorders and is one of the challenges of, of doing this, this kind of study um, is you need sufficient data and you need it to be sufficiently similar um, in order to, to pull it together. So what do you think is driving the lack of evidence on other mental disorders? It is becoming an area of increasing interest. When I first started doing this research, there was less interest albeit there are still very few studies which have been conducted in the UK, for example. Um, only one of 72 studies that I found was conducted in the UK. So I do think that, that in time, probably there will be more of an interest um, in this area. But I, I think it's also reflective of the fact that, that when we talk about perinatal mental health, we do often think about depression and less about other mental disorders, such as anxiety, for example. And so I think that the literature that I uncovered is really indicative of the field of perinatal mental health as a whole. I suppose that's one of the great things about doing a review and doing it systematically is that you can really uncover these gaps that are being left. You can see where the spaces are that need to be filled by new and better research. Yes, and it, it drives our own research. So what are the implications of what you found in your review? 
So what we can conclude is that healthcare professionals certainly need to be aware of this increased risk in women with gestational diabetes. They may require extra support and that applies to all healthcare professionals who are involved in the care of pregnant women. But what I would also say is that we talk about you know, every every contact counts. Pregnancy is an, an opportune time at which to detect problems, concerns that may have been there prior to pregnancy. This is often the first time that women are in their lives in contact with health services. It's one of the reasons that I work in this area, because it, it is a, an incredibly um, opportune time at, at which to, to support women. And also to... Coming back to, we've not talked much about this, but um, coming back to the fact that there are potentially um, adverse implications for children as well. This is an opportune time to intervene and potentially reduce adverse trajectories from becoming established in offspring. And so what I would say is that, yes, women with gestational diabetes are at an increased risk, but all pregnant women should be being asked about their mental health by healthcare professionals at every contact. There is various guidance for healthcare professionals about how to do that, including in, in the NICE clinical guidelines. So these are our main body of clinical guidelines in the UK. And they offer a lot of guidance around how we ask women about their mental health in the perinatal period. I think that's a really important and a really interesting point to raise about how pregnancy is potentially the first point of contact with healthcare that many women will ever have had. And also a little bit about what you were saying about intervening in things that may be pre-existing, but then in terms of the child outcomes, it's also to some extent potentially preventative. Yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. It is a window of opportunity. What might the next steps for exploring this association between gestational diabetes and mental health in mothers and their children be? Yes, so I'm interested in exploring this association in a UK population. As I alluded to, there's very little uh, literature on that at the moment. And one of the other uh, gaps in the literature that was revealed by by the review that, that I conducted is, is that we don't have a great understanding of potential mechanisms for this association. So we're always keen to to not only describe patterns of disease, but also risk factors and potential sources for, for intervention, as, as we've spoken about. And if we look at um, coming back again to, to think about the, the much bigger body of evidence on the association between uh, depression and type 2 diabetes, so, so diabetes in the non-pregnant population. We know that the mechanisms for that relationship, like most associations um, in, in, in medicine, are biopsychosocial. So yes, there, there may be quite a number of, of biological mechanisms at play, such as inflammation, but there are also probably um, shared socio-environmental risk factors between gestational diabetes and mental disorders. And these are things like obesity, socioeconomic deprivation, all of which are, are, are amenable to intervention. 
So those are things that need to be looked at in future research and trying to kind of unpick this association. Yes, this is what I'm keen to to explore in, in my future research. And I suppose this is a bigger question. How can physical and mental health care be effectively integrated during pregnancy? It's a great question. We've touched on this, I think, a little bit. This has been done much more in the non-pregnant population. I think there's quite a lot that we can learn from them. So, for example, one programme is is the Mind Body programme at King's Health Partners. So King's Health Partners is a collaboration between King's College London and three um, local NHS trusts, uh, Guy's and St Thomas's, King's College Hospital and South London and Maudsley. And it's aiming to really integrate the care that we provide for those with both physical and mental ill health. And it's skilling up the workforce who work with a range of conditions. Um, So education of health professionals, improved identification and diagnosis of physical and mental ill health, which comes from education of, of the workforce and developing common common sets of outcome measures of both physical and mental health treatment. And yeah, ultimately, skilling up the workforce to feel able to ask about physical and mental ill health, to then know what is the most appropriate uh, course of action if we do identify something, and facilitating communication and sharing of information obviously within the confines of um, data protection, but really enabling those who are at the front face delivering care to to be able to, to integrate these two things with, with the research evidence that shows that it, it is a worthwhile endeavour and that these, these conditions are really linked. So it's got to be a really multifaceted approach yes. taking into account lots of different factors all at the same time. Yes. If someone was listening and was really interested in the physical mental health interface and wanted to learn more, what resources would you suggest for them? Yes, and I think it would be worthwhile um, looking into to this this more. It affects so many people. Firstly, t- Tommy's Baby Charity have a great website that talks specifically about some of the physical and, and, and mental conditions that we've been talking about. Um, so they give information on on a lot of these conditions, including gestational diabetes. But also, you know, I've, I've just spoken about the King's Health Partners Mind and Body Project. They have a wonderful website um, with animations, infographics, um, sources of of further information as well. So I think that would be a a great starting point on the physical mental health interface more generally. And if you're specifically interested in pregnancy, uh, Tommy's uh, always have have great resources. Great. That's what you need to be going to look at if the physical and mental health interface has really interested you this episode. Thank you so much, Claire. This has been brilliant. Thank you. So, there we have it, our first episode exploring the physical mental health interface. Thank you to Claire for sitting down with me to talk about her research, and I wish her all the best for completing her PhD in the months to come. Please do rate and review, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Twitter, our handle is at MendTheGapPod, and join the conversation using hashtag MendingTheGap. We'll be back with a brand new episode very soon. 
In the meantime, stay well and stay safe. Thank you for listening.